Beautiful Kathy. What's the name of that song? If My People, I think. I, I sang the parts I knew, but I, I didn't sing loud. Yeah. Yeah, God's good, isn't He? Let me try that again. God's good. Amen? I want you to take your Bibles and let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And then when you find 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want you to uh, go back to, once you find that, hold your finger there as we say, and, and go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And it's going to take me a, a few minutes before we get to these focal passages, but I'll, when you find them, so it's 2 Timothy chapter 3. And it's 2 Timothy 3 and 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 3. You'll notice in your bulletin it says, I, you know, I give my sermons a title. Y'all hold, hold just a second. <laughs> I keep dropping my, uh, my cane. You'll see it says, I think it says, I say to you, I say... That's a, I want you to think about how significant that statement is. And, and that's a quote from Jesus, obviously. And Jesus said that over a hundred times. I say to you. Uh, several dozen times He said it like this. He'll, he said, you've heard people say. Then Jesus said, but I say to you. Dozens and dozens of times in the gospel accounts, Jesus was correcting the false beliefs of His day. But because Christ is God in human form, it is significant that Jesus says, I say to you. Because what Jesus said has been recorded, and we now call that God's Word. It's part of God's Word. When we think about you know living in the light of eternity and as we continue to walk through our little insert and our theme and look at all the implications and applications of living in the light of eternity, really the central part of our pursuit is God's Word. This whole, everything about the Christian life, everything about church life, about using your spiritual gifts, about uh, where the church is headed, ministries that we are involved in, your personal discipleship, your spiritual growth, all of this, every part of the Christian life is connected to the truth, to the truth of God's Word. Robbie read part of what is known as in John 17 part of, they call it the high priestly prayer. And the reason they say that is because obviously John, we know John was, uh, it's possible that Peter and James were close, but John was close enough that when Jesus had this intimate prayer with the Father, He overheard Jesus praying. 
And it's an intercessory prayer. If you read all of John 17, he's praying to the Father really for believers. And he said, part of what Robbie read, the text said, Robbie had to go to children's church. Anyway, I keep looking and Robbie's not there. Hey, honey, how you doing? But anyway, y'all are thinking I'm crazy because he's not even over here. But, but the text says, you know, Jesus says, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those, literally what I said, you know, I'm praying for those who follow me. But he says in, in verse, you know, chapter 17, I think it's verse 14, he says, the world hates them because I gave them your word. And basically, they believe your word. And he says, they hated me. Now they hate them because I gave them your word. And he says, and now they're not of the world. So therefore, the world hates them. Folks, I don't know if you've ever thought about how important the Word of God is. Um, Or what we call biblical authority. You know, we use these words um, in church life or in theology. You hear these words often. You hear um, that the Word of God is is inspired. Uh, There's three I's we use a lot of times. Inspired inerrant and infallible. I I believe those three things, plus others. I believe in the plenary authority of the Bible, the authoritative part of the Bible. I believe in inspiration, inerrancy, infallibility. But what we think, what in the world do those those words mean? Much of our Baptist doctrine and our Baptist faith and message, we use those words. Like we believe the Word of God to be inerrant and infallible. And really, both of those words are talking about without error. Inerrant means without error. Infallibility means that there's no possibility of an error in any part. So it's talking about the the accumulative part of Scripture. It is impossible, when you say it's infallible, it's impossible for it to be untrue. It's true, and it's always true. And being infallible, it's true and always true because the God that we serve can't lie and He's the truth. He never can lie. There's no falsehood in the Trinity. So therefore, everything that God has said to man is true. So we sit back and say that God's Word is inspired. That's a different word than you think. It's inerrant and it's infallible. It's without error. Now let me talk to you a little bit about inspired. We'll read this in a few minutes, but I want to read several of the cross-references first. But when you think about the word inspired, the Bible does not say... Now we do believe in inspiration, but here's the error. It's not that God inspired the men and they wrote as inspired men. The word inspiration literally would be better translated expiration. Expiration. Expired. God, it says, if you read, we'll read a minute, but God breathed out through them. So God used them and He breathed through them and they wrote God's Word. So it's not that He inspired them. God spoke through them. So it's God's Word and He uses these co-authors to pen what he says. So the word really has the word, the theos, God, our English word, I'm putting it in English, 
It's the word God, theos, and the word pneumatic. I've used this several times. Pneumatikos is the Greek word. Just like the men in here understand the work of a pneumatic tool. What drives a pneumatic tool? Does your hand do? No, your hand doesn't do it. What drives it? Air. The power of the air. Pneuma means wind or air. So when you use a pneumatic tool, it's the force of the air that drives that pneumatic tool. Well, God worked through these men. He he pushed His Word and they wrote down exactly what God wanted them to write down. But we know from reading the Bible that God used the, the personalities, He used the cultural background, He used their own intellect. Because so, it's not, you can read the Bible, it's not mechanical. Every book doesn't read the same. Uh, Paul's uh, grammar and language and the way he does paragraph, all that is different from how Peter writes. John writes different from James. I mean, so, but God used them as authors, really as co-authors, because God's really the author of salvation, of, of, of God's Word. So when we have this little phrase as, a, as kind of as a sermon topic, I say to you, it's very significant. Now think about what Jesus said you shall know the truth. This is in John 8. He's talking to the scribes and Pharisees. You know the rest of the verse. He says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Set you free. Then he says in, in verse 36, that's John 8, 32. Then in John 8, 36, he says, So if the Son, because we're thinking about freedom today, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And folks, those of us that have been saved, born again, and let's take it a little step further. Those who have been saved and born again and you're growing in God's Word, the freedom you get from knowing the truth, you really are set free. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Folks, I'm not in bondage to the vain philosophies of this world, right? Because I know God's Word. I'm not in bondage to the principles of the, the biblical law. The, the law is a task, God's law, as in the Old Testament. It's still binding. Those laws are still true, and one day God's going to judge the world based on His authoritative Word. Because not one jot nor tittle passes away from His Word. Heaven and earth. until heaven, He says, Jesus says, until heaven and earth passes away, not one jot nor tittle will pass away from my Word. So in this life and in the thousand year reign, what will rule the world and rule everybody's lives will be, will be His Word. It's eternal. So, so Jesus says to know that as a believer... Then, because His law, the law condemns, it convicts, it brings judgment. But because I know all the truth, and I know Christ and the truth about Christ, I'm not in bondage to the law. Because I know Christ fulfilled the law. Folks, that's freedom. So you shall know the truth. That's just an example. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set 
you free. Just a little uh, patriotic information. You know, today's, uh, I think my math is right. I think it's 247 years. Uh, our birthday. We're, we're, the nation's now 247 years old. By the way, on July the 2nd, if I, I remember my history, that's when the Congress voted for separation. And it was on July the 4th that the first draft of the Declaration of Independence was, was fashioned and it was signed by the signers. And I think it was updated like by the 8th. So July the 2nd is a significant day in the life of America. And obviously July the 4th is. And then they, they rang the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. And uh, Leviticus 25.10 is, is scrolled around that Liberty Bell and it says, Proclaim liberty throughout the land and to all the inhabitants therein. Proclaim liberty throughout the land. Now, Old Testament... Israel was set free from bondage. New Testament believers have been set free from the bondage of sin and death. So we, for the rest of our lives since we've been saved, will be proclaiming the liberty that Christ gives in salvation. I know all of you use GPS on occasion. And, and uh, both my car and Diane's car, at least it's new enough, mine especially, it have, have a built-in GPS in the, you know, in the dash, whatever you come in the, in the screen. And I, I don't know all the details, but I know it works. But it will not work if you're driving, which is weird. You have to stop. Does yours do this? You have to put it in park, and then it'll work. And I understand why, because I would be the one trying to put all the information in while I'm going down the road and, that's, that's, that's very dangerous. And, and I don't want anybody here that's a state trooper to think I would ever drive in a dangerous way. So, so you have to stop. But, but you know those GPSs, and I, I, I'm not trying to be silly, but if you use a GPS, now this is what I do. Now maybe you do. I pay no attention to markers like did I take a right or did I take a left? Did I, did I turn at a gas station or was there a big oak tree I don't look at anything so wherever I'm going when I get there you know what I have to do I have to turn around and figure out let the GPS get me out because I didn't pay any attention because the GPS tells you everywhere to go they're wonderful and I'm sure you've had situations where yours goes down in the middle of some crisis like in the middle of Nashville, it just shuts down and, and you're coming to an intersection and I'm screaming at Diane, where am I supposed to, which, which exit am I Because I haven't looked at a map. I haven't thought about anything because I'm doing exactly what the lady's telling me to do. GPS. Well, even greater than that is the directions that we live by when it comes to God's Word. It is, it is absolutely our final authority. Every word is true. 
Every word in this book is inspired, is breathed out by God. And every word is important. We need to know God's Word. Now, with your Bibles open, let's wait before we go to 2 Timothy. Go to 2 Corinthians 3. And let me show you a great truth that I shared this with the men the other morning when uh, we met and uh, were praying and talking about our, our music and, and uh, the future. And, and uh, I shared this as a devotion. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3. I want you to listen to God's Word. I, I'm going to read part of 3 and then part of 4. We, we looked at these verses about a month ago. Um, 2 Corinthians 3, um, let's just pick up at verse 13. That puts it in context. 3.13, you'll be, you'll be very familiar with what he's saying. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. His, the glory, the, the glory that was shining on Moses' face would fade. So he, he was veiling it to keep them from seeing that. But their minds were hardened. For to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Now that's Paul writing in the New Testament, preaching the gospel in Christ. He's saying that veil, they think, that, that Christ is not, they've rejected Him as the Messiah, and they think the legal system is how to be saved. So they still have this veil over them. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now look what happens. So when you and I got saved, or in Bible days if a Jew got saved, the veil of the Old Testament legalism and following the Mosaic law, thinking that your goodness would save you. Look, look what happens. So he says, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, now this is every believer, okay? And we all with unveiled face, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. Talking about Christ's likeness. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is, who is spirit. Now folks, I want you to know today what imparts that glory, right? If we're going to study Jesus, if we're going to look at the glory of the Lord, where are we going to find that? We're going to find that in God's Word. Yes, the glory of Christ, it depends upon... You and I growing in the glory of the Lord, more and more having His image, is dependent upon our knowledge of the Bible. Let me say that again. Your growth, you becoming more and more like Jesus, the image of Christ shining more and more on you and in you, 
is dependent upon the Word of Christ. It's dependent upon the Bible. And of course, the Holy Spirit as well. I wrote down the illumination of His Word within our hearts, in a sense, puts us in the same context of being face to face with Jesus. So God's Word, in the sense, makes us equal with the apostles or first century believers because in some spiritual way, because the Lord is Spirit, we become face to face with Him because He's speaking to us just as He spoke to first century believers. Now go to chapter 4, right here, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. For we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And then he says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing, now look what he said, from seeing what? The light of the good news or the light of the gospel. You could even say the light of the word of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And look what he says, for what? How how are they going to hear about this? How are they going to get there? Look what he says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. It's the proclamation of the word. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as servants of Jesus, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light Look, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. His glory, His glory, His character is mediated by His Word. That's what 2 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 4 is telling us. If we're going to grow in Christ's likeness, we have to grow in His Word. Now go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. You remember when Jesus was tempted? This is in uh, Matthew 4. Remember the three times Jesus was tempted? Uh, I know you know Him well. The first temptation was to turn, turn stones into bread. The second temptation was to jump off the pinnacle of the temple so the angels could catch him and and he would not be killed down on the rocks. The third temptation, which is really interesting, the devil offered Jesus, somehow he took Jesus supernaturally, somehow took him where he could see all these kingdoms of the world, which Satan tells Jesus is his, not Jesus. The devil claims them. I'll give you, he tells Jesus, I will give you the kingdoms of this world if you'll fall down and worship me. Now Jesus didn't rebuke that statement because we know that the devil is the God of this world. So it's interesting that that he didn't rebuke him, but Jesus did rebuke him with Scripture. 
But all three times, this is so interesting to me, all three times the Word of God, who is Jesus, the Word became flesh, quoted the Word, which was the Old Testament at that time. So the Word, Jesus, quoted the Word. The first time He said, when He said, turn these stones to bread, do you remember? He said, it is written. I love that. Jesus said that numerous times. It is written. That means this is eternal truth. It's not going to change. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, we know that, but then the rest of the verse. Now, think about what this verse is saying. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone. So, you know, natural life, surviving physically. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's how we're going to live. We're going to live off, off of God's Word or through God's Word. God's Word gives life. It gives life. God's Word is our life. And it's interesting to me that Jesus used Scripture to defeat... Now, hey, when you get... when you. Uh, we're studying prophecy on, on Wednesday nights. And, and one of the things about the heaven, you know, there's a new Jerusalem that God's promised where our mansions are. And uh, in uh, Revelation 20 and 21, it describes the new Jerusalem. But this new Jerusalem, which seems to be a 1,500-mile cubed structure, it's kind of what it describes in the Scriptures, you know, 1,500 miles wide, you know, long, and then 1,500 miles high. But it says it has 12 foundations, and those 12 foundations are the apostles' names. So on every foundation, it says it has 12 foundations. It's in Revelation 21. 12 foundations, plural, with each one with the name of an apostle. Now, that's great. But what's interesting to me when we're talking about God's Word, Ephesians 2.20 says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So just what Paul claimed in Ephesians 2.20, Revelation 21 says is true. Because everything God's Word says, it is, it is true. Now, your Bible's open there to, to 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 3. Also, I, uh, when I was reading about uh, Jesus' temptation in the Sermon on the Mount, that this is all uh, in Matthew 4 and then 5, 6, and 7 of the Sermon on the Mount, in, in Matthew 5, Jesus mentions who's going to be, and I'm paraphrasing now because I can't remember the exact text, but Jesus is talking about being great in the kingdom and being the least in the kingdom. Again, think, think in the kingdom. So folks, not only now, not only now, but there's a, 
after your life, they're, you know, absent in the body, present with the Lord. So you'll be in the kingdom, the eternal kingdom, began the moment you got saved. But you'll be in His presence when you die. Then at some point in history, there's going to be a thousand year reign where Jesus comes back to this earth, reigns from Jerusalem, r- r- rules the world with a rod of iron. The Bible will be the text that the world lives by. And we will reign with Him. That's all part of this kingdom. Okay, So when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, He's talking about who's greatest in the kingdom. He says the least in the kingdom is the person who relaxes God's Word. Folks, that's a, that relaxes God's Word. That presents the... Now think of the Bible, Old and New Testament. The least in the kingdom is somebody that relaxes God's Word. It makes it less than it is. And then teaches it to other people. You know, our, uh, our battle at the convention, our battle at the convention two or three weeks ago was over Scripture, whether the Bible's authoritative. And it says, straight out of the text in several places, about the pastor. You know, and uh, whether you're talking about the husband of one wife, uh, or he says, I do not permit a woman to teach a man. And he's talking about the worship. Okay. But you have those who got up and made a plea to 15,000 Southern Baptists that we need to make an exception. Well, what they were asking us to do was what Jesus condemned in, in Matthew 5 to loosen or to relax God's Word, to make it less than it is, and then to teach others. You can't do that. So then he says, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God is those who live it and teach it to others. God's Word matters. Now, we've got a couple of minutes. I want you to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Folks, God did not inspire concepts. He doesn't do it through visions, dreams. God communicates by word. By word. The word of God is true. And there's no more words of God coming. The canon has been fixed. The word canon means rule or standard. I'm going to pick up at verse uh, just 14 to put it in its context. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse uh, 13. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, this is Paul writing to Timothy. Timothy is pastoring the church at Ephesus. Okay, But as for you, continue in what you have learned. It's a great word because the word learn has to do with exploration and research, right? And inquiry. I mean, it's a process. In what, in what you have learned, so as for you, continue in what you have learned 
and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Paul's talking about himself. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. The Word. You've been acquainted with the Word of God which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The sacred writings which can make you wise for salvation through the faith that's in Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Again, that's one word. I would read it. I would say it says theo-pneumatikos. That's basically how it reads. One word, breathed out by God. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Just want you to think about, as a believer, ask yourself, am I complete? Is the, or, I, or am I in the process of being, being completed? Are you being completed who are complete, right, and equipped for every good work? Paul argues this same process in Ephesians 4 when he says that God gave the church, we read this last Sunday, apostles and prophets for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Building up is the word edify. So God gave the church preachers to preach and teach so the church will mature. There would be maturation But that maturation comes through the Word. Folks, God inspires the Word. He breathed out through men and they wrote down exactly what He wanted them to write. Now in closing, by the way, the Bible says those who worship Christ, this is what He said to the Samaritan woman, Those who worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. So there are biblical ways to worship. So everything is based on God's Word. Well, let me read you these other verses and I'll close with, with these verses. Now we know from, from reading, well, he says, all scriptures breathed out by God is profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That word training is interesting. It's an effort. I mean, you go and get trained, it's, uh, and it's demanding. Uh, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, this is for all believers. Equipped for every good work. You have to start examining yourself. And the fact is, the less you're in God's Word, the less work in the kingdom you'll be doing. The less you're in God's Word, 
the less aware of, of working in the kingdom you'll be. Those things are connected. The body is connected. The health of the body is connected to God's Word, to the authority of God's Word. And look what he says in chapter 4. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the Word. Folks, the most important thing we do is we gather to hear God's Word proclaimed and we gather to hear God's words taught. This, this is the most important moments of church life is when we stand and hear God's Word taught and proclaimed. And so Paul reminded Timothy to preach the Word. Listen to Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. So that's one of the things the Word does. I'm just going to read one more verse after this. I know we're out of time. The Word of God can discern the intents of your heart. You don't even know your own heart. Jeremiah tells us that. 17 tells us that. Who can know it? The heart is deceitfully wicked. You, you can't even know it. But the Word of God can discern the intensity. It can expose that before a temptation comes. So the Word of God as a sword can cut. In being a double-edged sword, it cuts both ways. And that's why, you know, personally, all of us do this. If you're struggling in sin, if we've... We might say if we're backsliding, and, and it's a popular t- word we used in the past, backsl- backslider. But when you do get caught up in sin and your life's not like it should be, the one thing you don't want to be around is God's Word. You'll skip Bible study. You'll skip worship as much as you can. You, you don't want to be around God's... Because it brings conviction. Because it's a double-edged sword. Now, now listen to this. I'm going to read just what Peter says and we'll close. He says, For no prophecy, the Word of God, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. So what I want you to know is the Bible, you know, the apostles didn't sit down and said, okay, Jesus affirmed the Old Testament. And He did. Okay, Christ affirmed the Old Testament. I would think if the Old Testament was wrong, Jesus being the Word in the flesh could fix that, right? He would tell us. So he affirmed the Old Testament. So the twelve apostles didn't get together and devise a plan to make up some New Testament books to help rule the church. That's not what they did. Look what the Bible says. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Now look what he says. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is a great verse. That's 2 Peter 1, 2, 1, 21. And it means, it's the idea, Peter uses a, a term for wind. He uses the word for wind in a sail. So, it wasn't the work of man. It was the work of God. And His Spirit would come and blow through, so to speak, men. And those men would write down exactly what God wanted them to write. This is why Jesus said 
in the high priestly prayer of John 17. This is, this is you and me. Sanctify them in your truth. The word sanctify means set apart. Your word is truth. What's going to set us apart? What's going to do it? God's word. What's going to make you a better husband, a better wife, a better church member, a better grandparent, a better employee? What, what's going to, it's going to be God's word. It's eternal. It's infallible. It's inspired. And it's inerrant. Amen? Let's stand together. Folks, I hope you have a fantastic 4th of July. Remember, the office will be closed. If you need anything, you can call us at any time. Let's pray together. Father, we love You and thank You for the holiness of Your Word, the surety of Your Word. And Father, I'm grateful that I can stand on Your Word. Father, we're here not to preach the precepts of men, the vain philosophy of this world. We're not here to talk about culture. We're here to preach the unadulterated Word of God. Father, thank You for the power of the Word working in us. Sanctify us each with Your Word, now and in the days to come. In Christ's name we beg it. Amen.